0: Welcome to the Pizza and PE podcast, the Triple P, where a group of friends get together each week to eat pizza and discuss PE. Hello, boy.
1: What's happening?
0: What much? How are you?
1: Oh, we're good. Some pizza. Good to be back on doing another podcast.
0: Oh, I have pizza too. I gotta eat lunch. Here we go. Andrew do you have your pizza I do this in a while I mean I made this for 12 noon eastern time okay good I have mushrooms and pepperoncinis I love it
1: it's really good
2: flower crust pizza the one I was talking about
0: oh you did you get the Costco flower crust pizza again that is good Delicious. all right so um good to be back episode Mm -hmm. number 19 on the pizza mpe podcast Keith Mm -hmm. you're wearing your pizza shirt
1: Of course, come
0: on. Yeah, I love it. What did you got?
1: I'm wearing a shirt that mom bought us. Keith, see it? See when you get yelled at again.
0: I don't yell at you boys. Drink coffee, do good. Yes, I did buy that for you.
1: It kind of goes with the theme today. Just about everything, just surrounding yourself with goodness.
0: That's correct. So who do we have on the Pizza and PE podcast, episode 19?
1: Oh, so we are so excited to have Mike Kozala back on the show. Uh, we had Mike on episode ten, and he spoke about the kinesthetic classroom and why movement matters, which is one of our driving forces behind you know our B three program. So uh, he recently just published his third book titled "The Peak Performing Teacher: The Five Habits for Success." And Mike is one of the leading experts in creating brain compatible learning environments through state management, motivation, and physical activity. He's also a best selling author, acclaimed keynote speaker an innovative professional developer in both education and the corporate settings. He is president of Kazala Consulting and director of instruction for the Regional Training Center.
0: I can't wait for this one because I love, love this new book, The Peak Performing Teacher. Personally, I use it as a guidebook and I cannot wait to ask Mike some questions on some of the things that contain on the five habits of success, ah, success. Yeah,
2: spit it out. I know. Let me drink some water. Okay, so um, before we get Mike on here, we will do our pizza fun fact for today, which is the first American cities to sell pizza were New York City, of course, Boston, Trenton, New Jersey, and, of course, my favorite place, New Haven, Connecticut. And that was due to the influx of Southern Italian immigrants at the turn of the century. Those were the places they landed.
0: That makes sense. And it's kind of all within that same region. All right. Well, let's bring Mike on, you guys. (laughs) Hey, Mike.
3: Hi, everyone. Great to be back. Thanks so much for having me
1: again.
0: Absolutely. Always good
1: for you to see us, Mike.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We were just ecstatic that you didn't hold out as long as baseball did.
1: Oh,
3: (laughs) crazy, right? Just... Yeah, millionaires arguing with billionaires. Gladly, glad they got it worked out and because uh, you, know, you and I have shared this great love for baseball. So I'm, I'm looking forward to opening day and, and getting back in a stadium.
1: Absolutely. It looks like we're going to have some fun this year, Mike, with our fills. So at Absolutely. least at least hitting-wise.
3: We love that show. We love <laughs> the hitting. Yeah. And, uh, good stuff. I'm looking forward to the season.
0: I just enjoy Keith's opening day. uh meal that he makes us. Hot dogs, barbecue, uh, a little PBR too, right?
2: Uh, crinkle <laughs> cup fries and some uh, butt-heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like in the <a> ballpark.
0: <laughs> All right, Mike. Um, so excited to have you on to discuss your latest book, The Peak Performing Teacher. This is going to be a little unusual because we asked you know, normally six questions to our guest, but this book just inspired me to create 10 questions that I want to ask you throughout this podcast. And the questions are going to flow according to how they come up in the book. I was so inspired by it personally. It's become a personal guidebook and I read it in two days. (laughs) So I really, really appreciate you writing this book. So let's get to it. Why'd you write it? Why'd you write Peak Performing Teacher?
3: Yeah, that's, it's been sitting in my brain for a long, long time. A lot of factors go into this answer. You know, I, I for the most part, my life has been this um, living lab, and I, I'm big into uh, kind of self-help. I don't like that term, mm-hmm. but I like living life at the highest level I can. I, I, I like achievement. I like um, prediction. Prediction. Um, and, and stability. And so there's ways to go about that. And, you know, one of the big influences early on for me, and I'll, I'll say this first, so I've been wanting to write this book since the late 90s. Uh, and I, I just, I wrote to Tony Robbins, because I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan, I've consumed a lot of his work over the years, books, CDs, cassettes, that's how old I am um and 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 also got spent a week with him live in las vegas at his business master in 2014 so in the late 90s i wrote and i said hey teachers need your stuff more than any other group i mean they're entrusted with our greatest natural resource which are children every day they're changing the brain uh and and it's really important and so you know they they wrote back his people wrote back they were very kind they sent every one of his books to our school that i was working in at, at the time and they said good luck so, you know, that began to express itself through my work with Regional Training Center. You know, I'm the academic director now, um, but I've, I've designed five courses for that, which are still a part of our everyday offerings. Thousands, literally tens of thousands of teachers have taken those courses since, you know, the, the mid-2000s, and they've expressed some of the things I hadn't quit, quite wrote about. So uh, there's a motivation course. There's a wellness course. There's two kinesthetic classroom courses, and my life veered towards the kinesthetic classroom. So uh, I, I, I just I got to the kind of end of the pandemic, and it was just it's an, it was an unusual time for everyone, and I needed a project, and I thought, Mike, why don't you resurrect this peak performing teacher? And my my, uh, my publisher Corwin was really interested in it. Uh, And so I was really excited about that. And I just pulled things out that I know work. They work in my life. They work because the research says they work. They work for teachers in the graduate courses. And so I was able to extract those and put those together in a concise five habit kind of form. And I I was glad to hear your comments, um, Kim, about reading it in two days. That was my intent. You don't have to read it in two days. Uh, You can really go back and sit down with it and really reflect on the answers that you give. But it's an it's it's not a difficult read. It's full of you know emotion from me to try and prod people to do these things, with the whole premise being how do you show up for work each day, being the best you can be for yourself? Because that's you know why we're here, creating the best lives we can for ourselves and then giving that away to the students. How can you show up and be the best? It's written from a non-judgmental uh um, context. And it's just a, I, I bill it as a reminder. I didn't invent any of this stuff. I was telling stories and, and, and giving ideas through my filters, etc. Um, and, and hopefully it's helpful uh, to teachers when, when they read it, It'll, it's a reminder and they'll just, um, it's like, yeah, you know what? I think he's right. I should be doing that. And maybe some things they haven't thought about in the past. That's my hope for this book.
0: And this book honestly could be called the peak performing engineer, the peak performing banker, the peak performing doctor. It's like resonates to all professions, even though it says teacher, like I've shared one of the things that I do to process information is to have a conversation about it with someone, which is sometimes my husband. And so I shared with him the five habits and we started thinking about our own lifestyle and like, okay, what can we change in our own habits to become a better self? and so like you know just sharing with him he's like this is so practical for anyone not just teachers so i i encourage anybody to pick it up i shared some of the habits even with my 19 year old daughter so she could be a peak performing student <laughs> so i thank you for for doing that
3: sure oh absolutely my pleasure and and you know i i thought about i have 25 year old twins
0: mm-hmm. and i
3: thought about you know what what really part of the reason why as well to, another part of that question is what can i give to my kids uh, you know that, that speaks about me what is a gift that i can give them uh, that might help them give them some insight about leading a better life and you're right it could be the peak performing anyone mm-hmm. i just to live in the uh, education space and so i wrote the peak performing teacher but you know it, it probably uh, in an hour i could do some edits and like you okay. said it could be the, the peak performing uh, anyone because these five habits work for
0: everyone
2: yeah reading through your book i mean now i Kim and andrew will tell you it takes me way longer than two days to read a book books are not on my you know i don't prioritize as much reading as i should but one of the things i found with with your book especially this one is I started doing what Kim did writing not in it. I wrote read, read it on post-it notes for me because I feel like this is going to be a living document that I could always change. So I could always take the post-it notes out and put something new in there, right? But then as I got deeper into the book, there's some things that required more of my time to to answer. And I wanted to get through the book, you know, so that we can have a great conversation about it. And it's it's amazing. But there are some thought-provoking things in there that Really need to re- sit back and, and think about the goals because this is not like any other goal setting book either. It's not like, hey, what's your goal? Lose weight. Great. What are you gonna do to it? I mean, no, this is
0: personally reflect.
2: Yeah. I mean, you,
0: you need to dig deep into your own lifestyle. Like I love it.
2: Yeah, you really do charge that question in there. And it's it's everything's
1: it. about reflection. The whole mm. thing. Reflecting on what we're doing currently, what we've done in the past, what we're doing, what our goals are for the future. So, yeah, reflections are best assets to make changes.
2: Yeah. So, that I mean, essentially with all that, Bill, that brings me to, your next, to my next question, which is, you know, you talk about a mirror being the most important piece of equipment in creating your desired lifestyle. Um, why a mirror?
3: Yeah, because no one's going to do it for you. Uh, you know, the more... And, you know, this has been a lifelong learning process for me. The more you take responsibility for your life, I have a philosophy of I'm responsible for everything that happens. I don't let it to exterior forces, et cetera. I trust in my thoughts, uh, my perceptions, my goals, my personal mission, etc. how I go about my life. And I take responsibility for it. If something goes wrong, I try very hard not to go, you know, you, you. Uh, that, this, it's about what, what can I do differently? And so I'm the one that's responsible for creating that peak performance in my life. And so the mirror is the most powerful tool because in it you find your number one advocate for peak performance and achievement uh, or leading the life that you really choose. So many people uh, let outside forces dictate what they're gonna do, how they're gonna feel and the more we take control of that, uh, the better we can feel, the, the better we can be for everyone else around us, you know, by putting ourselves at the top of our to-do lists, our to-do lists get overwhelmed with everything else, our jobs, our kids, our students, uh, you know, just running your life is like a small business, right? And so the, when we stop, take a deep breath, put ourselves at the top, prioritize ourselves and know that we are the best advocate for ourselves that creates a position of power and you can be powerful in every part of your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, and, and for your students to be this powerful educator. And that starts with each one of us.
2: That makes perfect sense. I mean, at, at one point though, I'm going to kind of detract a little bit and, um, but maybe you put that in there the mirror because you know um, this is a spoiler alert cuz you talked about how you were a bodybuilder and that you you know at one point competed so you needed that mirror to make sure you were looking good
3: <laughs> a long time ago like half a body ago right? <laughs> I <hear> all that <laughs> yeah so i i i did and and uh, you know you know if you Want to go down this road a little bit with the bodybuilding piece? Um, that mirror was really important, yeah, for practical reasons. Sure, but al- but also for what you know, finding a weight room and and finding bodybuilding did for me. And so this leads us into the first part of uh, of the book in chapter one and living the physical life. And so one of the keynotes that I do for physical educators, you know, not my only audience, of course, but when I do get a call for for physical educators. Uh, I talk about how critical they are in any school, classroom, building, or district. From my perspective, there's not a more important teacher because of how you can impact your students' brain-body connections. And it's just helping them to understand that your physical life is critical to your emotional life, that your physical life is critical to your intellectual life, that your physical life is critical to your academic life, that your physical life is critical to your social life, that your physical life is critical to creating a successful life. I didn't know that way back when I was 17, 18 years old and finding my way into a weight room. But as I got older and I'm doing these different talks, I look back and go, oh, my gosh, like the weight room and and what it did for my discipline, for my desire, for my dedication you know, I, at that point in time, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old. I'm just looking to create the best body I can. I'm happy. I like the way I looked. I walked differently, held myself differently. So it was a big confidence boost as well, but it was giving me things that I wasn't even aware of. And because I was not a good student, barely graduated from high school. And then, you know, I became a music major uh, and I never played a note of music in my life. And, you know, less than three or four months after my last bodybuilding competition is when this happened because I felt like I could and I got my degree, my BA. I got my MME. I had a great 10 year band directing career and I, I owe it all to my physical life. Absolutely. The weight room impacted me on so many levels. Didn't matter what I did at a bodybuilding competition. I never did steroids. I was an average competitor. Didn't matter. What it gave me was incredible and you know I go on and talk about that other parts of that chapter as well with with the broad street run and what that did for my life and how my book my first book was published right after the broad street run so these physical challenges that's what i noticed as an you know as i as i get a little older is that every one of my really giant successes in my life my own definition of success was preceded by a physical challenge because it gave me <laughs> the emotional and spiritual lift in my life. There's a lot of other ways to use physicality in your life, but you know, specifically there are ways that exercise can impact it that are just not about your heart and lungs and actually your brain. It's bigger than that. It's more emotional that it's more spiritual than that.
0: I love that. In fact, you spoke of what I've loved about your book too, when you are talking about how the weight room impacted your life was you were vulnerable. You actually shared with your readers, something that I did not know about you—that you struggled in high school. Your GPA, GPA, your first few years in college, um, you were close to maybe being kicked out. <laughs> I don't know. You said you really have to try hard to get that low of a GPA. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, I go, as a renowned, you know, regional trainer, director, keynote speaker, like that's amazing story to show how the physical life impacted um, the trajectory of where you are now.
3: Yeah, uh, it pulled it out of me, you know, mm-hmm. I labeled I It as a kid. And then I got to about seventh grade and I got lazy, really lazy mm-hmm. and so poor. And it just made me live at a higher level. It just yeah. pulled me up uh, and, and I still lean on it. That's the great thing. So now I know these tools can work in different ways than our life than we ever suspect. So, you know, something. I don't know if I talk about this in the book or not. I talk about it in the keynote. I think maybe I put it in the book. I don't remember. You know when my dad got sick in 2014 you know, or so, he died in 2015. It was a rough time in my life. I had never experienced anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, you know, I needed something. I was, I was getting overweight, and I wasn't moving, and I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping well. I was a wreck, and I know I needed something to pull me out. And I just was smart enough by then to lean on my physical life. So it was my ability to be on the yoga mat, to be on my mountain bike, to, to uh, be in the weight room, you know, whatever it might've been that pulled me out of depths I had never known before. So now I, you know, I even get beyond that, and here we are five or six, seven years later, and I'm just enjoying a really physical life because I know what the research says about you know cognitive impact as I age, and it just uh, is is fantastic. I love that. Like just we were talking today, I was already in the weight room. I had the day off. So I'm going to go golfing this afternoon, play pickleball tonight, and it's all uh, it's all good. And sp- just real quick, speaking of the vulnerability, I just think that's how people can identify. You know, people can come together a lot more by what's gone wrong <laughs> sometimes in your life than by what's going well. And social media, we like to make mm-hmm. the best version of ourselves. And I yeah. just pr- Put myself out there because I want to help others. I don't, I'm, I'm getting to a point in my life where I just don't give a damn, excuse me. Um, right. And I'll, I'm just able to let people see me. This is who I am. And hopefully it can help you to live a better life.
0: Right. Not everything is just a white picket fence and everything's great. I love that we can, even though you're on a podium to several colleagues in our profession, you know, just to show that, Hey, I'm, I'm a person like you <laughs> and and an inspiring
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then just to add to that, you know, you you know, talking about the mirror and you know how it helps you have power, and then you know talking about the physical life and how that just creates incredible habits for you and what it did for you in your life. But along the way, we have to weigh those right, and and that plain the pain, pain, pleasure principle, you know, that you talk about in your book. Would you explain that concept?
3: Sure. So our brain has a scale. Uh, that weighs every decision we make. And one side is pain and one side is is pleasure. Uh, procrastination is a pain pleasure decision. You know, we are, uh, you know, putting off the pain of doing something by getting the pleasure of not doing it right now. Uh, the problem is, is when two pains show up side by side because you've put off, let's just talk about my world graduate work and every one of our courses, teachers have to complete a learning extension project. So you put it off, put it off, put it off. I'm procrastinating getting the pleasure of not doing it versus the pain of doing it. And then the deadline comes up the next day. Now, two pains are side by side. Now, the greater pain is not going to be getting my credit, not getting, you know, getting uh, uh, the, the pay raise if I don't get the grade. So now I'm going to act. So our, our brain will often do more to avoid pain than to gain pleasure. So the key to it is to look at your life. There's something you're making a decision about. What will this cost me if I don't do it? What if I don't act now? What will it cost me? What will it cost my family? What will it cost my friends? What will it cost my career? And get your brain wrapped around that. Create this really painful image. And okay, gosh, you know what? I have to turn that should into a must. And that helps you to move forward. It gives you energy. It gives you motivation uh, to move forward and really use the pain pleasure principle to your advantage. One of the pieces of research I cite in the book is something where uh, I don't have it right here in my brain, but it was consumer research. And we do, you know, we want to delay painful things as long as possible and bring in pleasurable things as quickly as possible. just came out like 2020, 2021, but just supports this idea of the pain pleasure principle.
0: And that's why, um, I mean, I, I, my biggest, I mean, okay. so when I was reading this, it it, it took me back to when I remember I was in a workshop and even Eric Jensen made some comment that we we pay our bills because of this pain pleasure principle of it's a state management. I'm like, huh, we want to pay the bills because it's more painful to hear from those creditors or it's more painful for us to be, you know, not paying it, not having power on and so forth. So that's even one of those things that's a pain pleasure principle. But I had to kind of think about that one running like I fear not to go into the finish line then, you know, not getting up in the morning and doing a long, long distance run. The fi- Not finishing is more painful to me than the run itself.
3: And the more you can recognize that in your own life, the more you can use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. In not working out or not working out, practicing gratitude or not practicing gratitude, deciding to meditate or not meditate, those were all pain, pleasure decisions. Um, mm-hmm. The more you can identify it and recognize it, the more you can use it to your advantage. So I'm glad Eric talked about that as well. It's good. Yeah.
2: So I'm uh, gonna go on to habit two with you, and um, you know, you say you you, you miss uh, much of the juice of your life uh, because we focus on distance thought, distant thoughts. Um, what do you mean by this? And then a, a kind of follow up to this is in your book you have a ton of quotes and what goes into putting or where do you get the inspiration to find all these quotes that just seemingly fit perfectly
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'll I'll go backwards and i may have to ask you to repeat the beginning part but i'm a quote guy i love quotes they inspire me and so as i write uh, they're all over my graduate coursework too you know if you have a workbook in one of my courses there are quotes in it uh in fact in one of the courses that we have quote partners. So you have to read a quote and then read it to your partner when you get up to move and, and to be with them. So I, you know, I just have some different resources, some books, and you can go online and just find it. It took, takes some time. It takes study to which quote perfectly fits this part of the chapter, or this part of the book. But I really like doing that. I think it's fun. Uh, who knows, maybe we'll have a peak Performing Teacher uh, book of quotes because there's, there's a lot in there. But I quotes inspire me personally and hopefully they inspire the readers if they don't like them they can just pass right over them and move on to the next thing um but as far as yeah the juice of life and when your thoughts are far away i I will you know the the juice of life thing has kind of a couple of different components so one is about getting out of your comfort zone and just to go off here and veer a little bit Uh, i love the i love the quote uh to get to the fruit of the tree you have to go out on a limb and and that is where the juice of life is lived, outside the comfort zone. And when you get comfortable outside your comfort zone, which can take a long time, it gets, it's uncomfortable sometimes, pain, pleasure, but if you know this is where you want to be, you get comfortable with being outside your comfort zone, it makes life so much more fun. Uh, And as far as the, the thought piece, that's a mindfulness issue. See, most of our stress uh, and it, it's just squirrels running around our brain. Most of our stress is about either something that did happen or something that might happen instead of paying attention to the moment. Because everyone thinks you know mind, the definition of mindfulness is being meditative and, and that's a part of it, of course, but it is about paying attention to the moment, like uh, being in the moment, noticing what's right in front of you because you really can't do that and think about all those other thoughts at the same time. You can't do it. And so when you're focusing on what's right in front of you, unless the focus is really stressful, whatever's going on around you, then that allows those other thoughts just to go away because you can't focus on both. So it's very much a mindfulness activity and it uh, it takes away our stress. That's why mindfulness is so helpful. So, yeah, you're missing out on the juice, which is right in front of you, because you're thinking about 10 different things that are probably exaggerated, not going to happen based on a fear, because most stress is the light. And there, there is a fear underneath it. And you're just focusing on the wrong things, telling yourself the wrong story. Got to change your questions. Got to change your story. Get focused on the moment and move forward.
2: Do you have a particular quote that's your favorite? (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, the one that comes to mind, you're testing me today, because when I'm
0: writing, I'm, I'm,
3: I'm allowed to look at them and write as I'm looking. Um, Nothing is good or bad. It is thinking that makes it so. William Shakespeare. So I think that's my favorite quote in the book. It's all about perspective. One person's joy is another person's stress. Uh, so you get to feel about anything is the way you just assume that everyone else feels like you do, but it's probably a very false assumption.
0: Well done. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I'm just laughing because I, I work with Keith every day, and we have a script, and I love how he just tested you. That was great.
3: <laughs> Hope I pass.
2: You did. <laughs> One of the things with with you and we we have we've all you know talked enough to have the baseball connection and there's times when people bring up the competitiveness i have and um the the mets manager from back in the day and i just went blank on his name uh but he had one of the best competitive quotes you can ever ask he said if i'm playing third base and my mother was rounding third with the winning run i trip her. her Up and dust her off but i would tell her nobody beats me mom nobody
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, wow, That's Love exactly that, huh. I can't remember that Mets oh. oh my god.
1: It's just that's that's competitive. That, that is competitive. Yeah. I don't know if, how you're gonna trip your mom, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if he really would do that, Keith.
2: I guarantee he would because he was a little feisty manager back in the day. And no, I'm talking about that was it. Oh, okay. It was 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 a whole different game back in the day. I mean, it was a hard charging game. Now it's all flash and bang. But back in the day,
0: I'm not yeah, gonna-
3: I, I, you know, I, I miss. You know, I coached baseball for for a long time. My son was a college baseball player, just part of our family, and I miss a little bit of the old game. It's kind of like why I wa- like watching the college game so much because you know, there's things they have on, you know, whatever it bunts and pickoff plays and. And coverage and it's just fun to watch where, yeah, flash and bang in the MLB. Uh, you know, I love moving runners over, etc. Just the thinking part of the game and everything's about power
1: uh, now. Not everything, but anyway, just a little opinion there. We could do a whole podcast just on that. You could do a pain pleasure principle just on the new rule of baseball. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that takes us to, you know, our, you, you talk about Tony Robbins often and how he's, you know, one of your mentors and, and someone you look up to. And, and for Habit 3, you talk about sharpening your mental focus and designing a life versus making a life. So what does that mean? And, and how did Tony impact your life? Yeah. So designing
3: a life versus making a living, you know, and a lot of people, I think, just get into the day to day of their life. They have to go to work um, and, and, you know, they, they kind of get caught up in the stress of it and the living that I have to make to make ends meet. Can't wait for the weekend to get here, you know, and and maybe this is a little Pollyannish, but my goal in life is to make Monday uh, at eight feel like Friday at five. That's the way I think everyone should aspire to go about life. I know it always doesn't work out that way, but we we ought to focus more on designing a life that we love and and having our work life be a part of that. and you know, passion, of course, is a part of that. And I know we can't always be involved in our passion. But how can I? How can we uh, create joy in everyday living? So when you're designing a life, what does that mean? What do I want to do with my leisure time? What do I want to do with my work time and my work life? Uh, what do I want to do with my social life and my friend life? And how do I support all of that? And and how can I actually design that? And a part of that is through creating mission and creating goals and action plans for our life so that we can move ourselves forward in a more productive way than just getting caught up in, oh, this is what I do. This is what I have to do every day. How can I get excited about all that and design purposefully because I'm in control. Um, I have the power. I have uh, the ability to achieve. So how do I go about designing?
0: So design like a purpose-driven life, like even while you're at work, knowing that your personal mission statement, even in work.
3: Yeah, because yeah, the personal mission statement gives us something to compare our decisions and our actions to. So is this taking me away from my mission? Is this helping to more align with my mission when we create goals, then I can like I have that personal mission statement in place. Mm-hmm. I can create goals that align with the mission. And then I can examine the forces that are pushing me away from my goal or pushing me towards my goal. So it becomes a lot of, uh, you know, we we talk about, uh, you know, mental acuity and mental focus, and those types of things help us to get there and to be focused and to align everything. So it takes some of the stress out of decision-making. This is my mission. This is what I'm doing over here. Mm, You know, I want to come back this way and it it takes some of the stress out of it.
0: Yeah. And it helps to eliminate some of that whirlwind in a work that causes that extraneous stress and anxiety. So, so mission statements, you know, you create a personal mission statement, set goals. I love how you explain a plan, P-L-A-N. I love that goal setting formula others you know we know there's several goal setting formulas like smart goals you know yep. i just love this four step process that you highlight that even if i was teaching in a health education classroom i love this four step formula cuz when i walk through it i thought it was easy to use it's an easy four step process that even would be helpful as a health skill to teach you know high school students um Ex- explain plan. What it stands for, and how is this your original four-step goal-setting formula?
3: Yeah. So in a, I, I'm going to give. Always going to give. You know, if someone reads my book and they're real familiar with Tony's work, uh, or they're real familiar with Stephen Covey or or Jack Canfield, they'll hear those voices in my work. And okay. and Tony kind of talked about how this would not fail you and what i did for the purposes of my graduate courses was to create this plan acronym that was yeah i created that and and uh, it just helps us to focus cuz it won't if you're willing to keep going it won't fail you and the first one is plan your vision and to borrow from stephen covey begin with the end in mind you've got to have goals uh, it it tells your brain you know i'm here and i want to be here it, so it creates energy it creates pressure effective pressure and gives your brain something to focus on uh, to move forward. So that's critical. So P is plan your vision, list your actions, create an action plan. Most, you know, a lot of people create goals and I'm thinking specifically in the new year but they have no action plan uh, with very specific steps that are achievable. And just to interject here for a minute with SMART goals, you know, it's it's very similar. I, I you know, I use SMART goals in one of my graduate courses but the things that they don't include in smart goals often is what you why because that mm-hmm. creates the emotion around what you're doing that's going to you know motivate you to even do it so you got to understand why you're doing this create the emotion around it don't right. often talk talk you know smart goals are not often accompanied by who's your resource individual because what the research shows mm-hmm. about goal setting is that if you do have someone to report to someone that's important to your life who might be interested in that you're more likely to achieve the goal uh, and the other thing is, the other thing is to never leave a sight of a goal without doing something towards its attainment immediately. Because you want to create motivation, you want to create energy, um, you, you, you want to get started right away so you don't lose that drive. And so, if you create a goal, what are you going to do in the next five minutes? It might even be a phone call, it might be something you need to do in your kitchen, it might be something you need to sign up for, it might be to purchase a book on Amazon. What are you doing immediately to create momentum? So coming back to plan, list your actions, create an action plan, because like I said before, a lot of people, they, they set goals, but they don't create plans. Your goals need plans for your brain uh, to follow and you're, it becomes a map for your achievement. Uh, and, and you know, creating a goal without having a plan is a little bit like uh, you know a pilot on a flight without having GPS, you just get very lost pretty quickly. Finally, then, uh, not finally, but the next one is assess the outcomes. You have to as- assess or notice whether it's working or not, because if you don't, you're just drifting again. So, it, it, you know, And that's why our goals need to be short. You know, speaking of a kid, if you have a semester goal, you're halfway through the semester and you're not even close, well, what's going to happen to your motivation levels? But after a week, if you have a week-long goal, I can assess whether it's working or not and still maintain my motivation by making certain adjustments. And, and, you know, or I achieve my goal after a week and now I'm even more motivated to go into week two. So keep it short. And then finally, uh, if if what you find is not working, create a new approach. So the N is new approach. You know, Go to plan B. If plan B doesn't work, go to plan C. If plan C doesn't work, go to plan D. If you're willing to stay the course and keep creating new plans until you reach your goal, it will not fail you. And so goal setting, mission creation can be very effective in someone's life. Uh, as long as you're doing, it, I think, in, in a systematic and emotional way that drives you forward.
0: I like that you um, mentioned the emotion piece. That's the part that really spoke to me, that you're right, is absent of smart goal setting, that if there's emotion behind it, you're more willing to, now this is me saying this, I know that you express the emotion behind it, but for me, personally, I, there's more stick to itness than then when yeah. you're emotionally driven in, in in those goals. I love that part.
3: We are our emotions. Rarely mm-hmm. do you do anything without uh, trying to change the way you feel. Rarely does anything happen to you that doesn't change the way you feel. Isn't life about just how we feel, really? I mean, we start we get to the bottom line and examine it, it's about creating that productive emotional life that will propel you forward. It's all about how we feel. So what are you doing to help the emotional part of this? It has to be included. All learning is emotional. Can't get mm-hmm. away from that. And the more we recognize that in schools, which I know is another topic, the more success we right. can have.
1: And, and to can me, I- th- th- these uh, you know this plan acronym is ideal for teachers designing and creating lesson plans. Like if they, you know, we talk about the universal design model and all this stuff, this falls perfectly in line with, you know, you gotta have a plan for everything you're doing. What are your outcomes? What do you want your students to achieve? So Mm -hmm. following these four steps can create the best lesson plans. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah I agree and and I you know I, I don't do a lot of this in my professional development when I'm doing motivation a PD absolutely we, we, we do this but it would be a good thing I agree for all teachers to be aware of uh, and all students to be aware of so they can help themselves
0: mm-hmm. so is it okay to have plan in some skills based health education curriculum like oh. to walk them through that step and to you know have your name on it To say that, you know, just, you know, because I think that's so, I think it's better than smart and and smart goal setting was difficult for kids, especially in eighth grade and ninth grade to understand. And I, I, when I was reading that, I was like, this is what I wish I used when I was teaching health education with my students.
3: Yeah. I think the two can peacefully coexist. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, in, in the graduate course on motivation, there, there is the use of smart goals. And plan, but I think plan is more understandable, especially Mm -hmm. for that middle middle aged middle not middle aged middle middle level aged kid um, to to access go once you have plan you know set a goal list your actions assess Mm -hmm. get the data and the new approach you can you can kind of creep then into smart goals to make it a little bit more specific. So I think they can work
0: well. Yeah, I can see that too. That's a good idea.
1: Less clutter they have to worry about with the acronym so plan smart you know plan. Oh, well,
0: there you go plan smart
1: <laughs> Started here thank you there andrew
0: you go. now we can transfer that skill all right Keith, do you have a question So before
2: i get to the next uh you know regular question I, you know as i listen to you talk about this i mean this is everything we we learn about uh, teaching in our career like especially as a pe teacher you know when in where we are, we've seen the kids once a week, you know, so you really have to have a good plan. You have to have a good vision for each lesson, for each grade level. You have to list the actions. Okay, so if I'm starting a basketball unit, what is the end game three weeks, four weeks down the road? What can I get in in this 40-minute period, knowing that these kids aren't going home to practice? Because many of them don't have basketballs or hoops back home, mm-hmm. right? And then while you're teaching the lesson, you're constantly doing that assessment. You're assessing the outcomes of what you've just taught. And, you know, and we always used to say this, uh, especially, you know, Andrew Kim and I was Monday was your guinea pig day. Tuesday was your adjustment. Wednesday was perfection. Thursday, Friday. And you always felt bad for Monday's kids because that was the first group right. that, that you and had. This
0: elementary, and this is elementary P. Yeah. Elementary. The, our, our listeners understand too. That's an example of elementary PE.
2: Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, you still do that kind of with middle school too. It's just going to be what, how'd Monday's class go? Tuesday's class is a little better. Wednesday
0: is your. You program. just see them more often, usually. Sure. You're, you're constantly
3: assessing and changing your approach. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the key, bottom line.
2: Yep. Right. That, that brings me. It, it's a great segue into the next question because as a teacher, you have to be. A, you know, very reflective. And that's one of the best things that you can learn when you're becoming a teacher. So, you know, reading about the rocking chair test was mm-hmm. really interesting because there's a lot of times when when you do sit and reflect, sometimes you are in that rocking chair if you're, you know, in a, in a spot that has one, but can you explain, you know, what the rocking chair test is?
3: Sure. And, and this is, you know, when I say that in the beginning of the book, I didn't, I invented some of these things, but this is one that is, uh, been used many times before, but the rocking chair test can be very effective. So you would sit, close your eyes, and imagine yourself in a rocking chair on your porch. You've lived a a good life, and you're in your whatever you're in, your 80s, your 90s, and you're kind of reflecting, and you close your eyes. And what would your life be like if you had achieved that goal? What is the joy? What is the achievement? What is the fun? How much were you able to give to other people, which is one of the pure joys in life, uh, because you went after that goal and achieved it. On the other hand, you can close your eyes. What was your life like you hadn't achieved it, if you don't do it? So when you're in the goal setting process, you sit down and you're using the pain side of the pain pleasure. You sit down, and you think about the rocking chair, you're on your porch, you're in your 80s or 90s, and you did not achieve that goal. What did it mean for your life? What did it mean for the others in your life? What didn't you get to do? What pain did it cause? What happened because you didn't go after that or achieve that goal? So it's just a way of you know, visualization and reflection, putting yourself to your future self, maybe 30, 40 years ahead. What could your life be like or what wasn't it like? And it's a great way to give you the emotional piece again behind goal setting.
0: I find myself rocking right now while you're while you're giving that example while you're explaining it. That's yeah. I love that. That that spoke few, to me in the book.
2: I think yeah. a few things when you say that. One, there's that 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 kid in me that says, "Man, if I would have been a baseball player, <laughs> that would have achieved that goal." But you know, uh, some things just aren't in the genes. If you uh, you know,
3: right, and that's the realistic part of smart. Right, smart. I, I would I would love to be in the nba i'm not good enough i'm too old uh, you know so if, uh, what's what what are the realistic goals you're trying to set right
2: you know so that and then the other part you know you said you
3: couldn't have played professional baseball i think the scouts who watched you were loudly That's I'm right. just saying, for me i couldn't <laughs> yeah <play
1: the NBA. laughs> at the time i agree
2: Let, let's go with that <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this brings us to uh this was, uh, to me, my favorite chapter or habit that you talked about, um, because it's something that you hear about and, you know, you think about it and you're like, OK, that sounds great. But when you dive into it and the way you explain gratitude in for Habit 4, it definitely ha- it, it changed me. No doubt. Like this is something I'm going to try to to put forward in my life, you know, just to change mindset on, on how I think of things, how I do things and to be grateful for all the amazing things I do have in my life. So when you talk about this, you know, what does it mean to have gratitude and how can we channel our own gratitude?
3: Yeah, when you when you dive into the research about gratitude, it's one of those things where it's it's free. Yeah. It just takes thinking in a different way. And, and the changes you can make in your life are incredible. Why would you not? You know, again, we focus mostly on the squirrels and instead of getting to the gratitude uh, point where we can change our outlook and change our mindset. And, you know, mining for gratitude is about finding gratitude all day long. Now, look, there's research out there that says, you know, you're going to keep a gratitude journal once a week is really the best way to go because people are not um, they're not used to mining for gratitude every day. Uh, so I don't think I think people have can have difficulty uh, trying to find things to be gratitude, grateful for uh, in, in a gratitude journal on a daily basis. But when you get to Eric's level, you know, Eric, you read about him in the book. He's incredible. He just makes you feel good to be around. And he runs his businesses that way. And then I try to make the parallels to the classroom. I just know how gratitude makes me feel. And so I'm going to practice gratitude on a daily basis. And where I do it is in my morning routine, which I think we'll talk about in a minute as a part of my visualization process. And then also I lean on it. You know, when I'm upset about something, which means I'm probably scared of something, uh, stressed about something, again, it probably means I'm scared of something. I get grateful. What is it about that particular situation am I grateful for? And one of the things I love about what Eric says, you know, when he was running his auto dealership, before he ever had, if someone came into his office upset before they ever have a conversation. He's like, time out. Tell me three things you're grateful for. Changes their being, changes their mindset. And now we can have a conversation. You know what it is? It's a state change. And so how, what, how often could we use this with kids in school? Or just personally, as a teacher, I'm upset, I'm stressed right now, go to the grateful state. So, mining for gratitude is looking. If you know on a daily basis, if you're keeping a gratitude journal, and I have to be responsible for that the next morning, I know that I need to mine for gratitude today. So, what am I looking for? There's always things to be grateful for, whether it's your car or the your cup of coffee, uh, it can be very tiny or it can be magnificent things like this person i married to or whatever it is, you can get yourself into a grateful mindful, uh, a grateful mindset that just allows you to be happier, more joyful, more pleasant and feeling well. Who doesn't want that?
1: Right. Well, and, and the one thing too, it, it, when you talk about it, that really hit with me too is, you know, we can say we're grateful for our family, we're grateful for our house, we're grateful for our job, but when you're not very specific on what you're grateful for, mm-hmm. your brain tends to go, well, okay, there, yeah, that's great. But when you're very specific and really get down to the details, then it holds more value, and yeah. it's, it's more true to, to to really establishing that mindset to be grateful for that thing.
3: Yeah, getting granular. Right? getting detail oriented, that is where the power is. And Eric talks about that, you know, with with this, you know, grateful for my family, so what? Everyone's grateful for their family. Mm-hmm. Who is it? What about them? Uh, exactly. And what specifically about them, you know, cause the Eric's whole point is, you know, it's about this giving continuum. So, you know, when do we give things away? When we have too much, when do we give so much love away? When we have filled up our hearts with gratitude we become givers and as teachers, we are givers. And the more that we can slide our continuum, the giving part, uh, you know, by through gratefulness, the better off we are for ourselves and all of our students.
0: And then for our listeners, for, I mean, Eric is a great example that you mentioned in the book, who is a owner of a car dealership. <laughs> One of my friends owns several of them and he's like, it's an ugly business, Kim. And he loses, and you know, a lot of workers and so forth. But the fact that a car dealership owner put this into practice and had significant results is remarkable, especially for that industry. It's so I love that you use that used him as an example in your book.
3: Yeah, it was no question. I knew I was going to turn to him because of what he did in that business, and and, uh, uh, you know, the for a business, the bottom line is the bottom line. And so I asked that question. What about the bottom line? I and mean, be just that best ever, best ever, best ever, best ever. Because you just attract mm-hmm. the right people. He said there were some fantastic yeah. salesmen that couldn't deal with us. And they would leave after two or three weeks. We'd throw them a party, we would thank them, yes. tell them to come back if they ever wanted to, but it just didn't work out. And you find the right people come on the bus to borrow from good to great. And mm-hmm. the school can be done mm-hmm. this way too. It's really interesting to right. start thinking. About.
0: Yeah, it could be put into practice for anybody. Yeah. So, well, Heath, did you have a question?
3: I do. I just
2: wanted to tell you about that chapter and and a quick thing about my experience. I mean, I sat at my kitchen table and read that chapter the other day, and you know, you think sometimes with teachers, you know, we we have gratitude. Oh, what happened? Huh? I'm gone. Hello.
0: No, you're not. You're still oh, here. You're good. You're still here. Okay, oh, go I'm ahead.
2: Okay, it, like everything, my whole screen just disappeared. I apologize.
0: Okay, you're still there.
2: So, um, and I'm sitting reading this chapter, and you're like, you know, sometimes teachers get so beat up that they would just like to have a little gratitude for what they do, and and how they how how much they do for kids. But the biggest thing is, I mean, I became a, a little bit of an emotional wreck. Like I had a good tear while I was sitting there reading this chapter, and it. Was so much with you know what we do as teachers, but it came from Facebook. As much as I don't, you know, Facebook is it is what it is. I had a, a friend request from a student the other day, and I accepted it. And my thing is, and I love to do that with with old students, you know, and teaching at the elementary level. And she's a, a lawyer now. She's you know her pictures are her finishing law school. And the thing that caught me was she friend requested me and remembered me, her PE teacher. And, you know, the gratitude is as much as you complain sometimes or, or, or do things about the job. It's the little things like that when a kid comes back and reaches out to you or remembers you for something you did. And you don't think you've done anything other than your job.
0: It well, Holding up, not- just the joy of being around students. Well, we, and lose it makes- tr- we lose track of the fact that we're here to be with students, not to make this phone call, not to answer this email, not to report to this IEP, not to this. It's like just be in the moment with your students.
2: Well, and you know, it, it, it you know, you like quotes, and you, and it, it brought me, it took me straight to the Jim Valvano speech, where he yeah. said you should do three things every day. Yeah, Spend time and thought, have some laughter, and have your emotions move to tears. And I had all three when I read the gratitude thing.
0: Yeah.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that. And here's the point of that chapter. Don't wait for that student or friend to request you. You can feel it as often as you want through a regular gratitude practice that welling up, that great feel, your heart feels great, you feel great about your life. Gratitude can move you much closer to that. So I applaud your example. I've had that too. That's fantastic. But how do you implement gratitude so you can feel like that more often? Yeah.
2: That's-
0: Which, does that start with making the morning count?
3: Absolutely. And what does that
0: mean, Mike? Habit five, make the morning count. I love yeah. this job. I, I put this into practice right away.
3: Good. Uh, and you know what I did, I looked for real practicing teachers, because you can go online and look at people's morning mm-hmm. routines. And, you know, they're crazy. Uh, yeah. It's like I mean, that's not a teacher's life. So I went out I found seven teachers. Uh, I yeah. asked and I, I had I guessed from their level of professional. I mean, the level of uh, not professionalism, but what they've done with their professional life, mm-hmm. that they had to have a morning routine. I was right. Seven of the eight cases. And uh, the only reason the eighth one wasn't is because he's got young kids. He said, you don't want to know my morning routine. <laughs> so yeah, these are real practicing, inspiring classroom teachers that have morning routine. And you know, just one piece of research I cited in the book that if you, you know, mood affects your work. And so if you come to work in a bad mood, you're going to be worse for your kids. That's the safe assumption from that piece of research and, and not as good for yourself, which is not good. Uh, so what are you doing in the, in the, morning, to borrow the cliche, win the morning, what is it? You know, whether it's physical activity, whether it's meditation, whether it's just something you really love, like, uh, like the last, uh, let's not go down that road, just if you have a habit that you love doing, waking up 15 minutes earlier and doing it for 15 minutes, so you experience a satisfaction and a joy in the morning. Before you ever arrive at school. So I have my my routines been in place. I meditate. I've been a regular meditator for for decades. And I also do this very specific visualization around goal setting and, and gratefulness. So I'm setting my goals visually, mentally, and I'm also being grateful for their reception and for coming into my life all at the same time. And by the time I'm done with that, I feel so powerful and ready to go. And some people don't do that. They get right out of bed. They get a cold shower. They exercise. They you know, they, they tackle the day. That's just how I handle it. Everyone's different. But you've got to make the morning count.
0: So it's more about what, how I read it, too, was make the morning count and do something that's good for you, not just be a servant and like make the kids lunches, get them on the school bus, going to this, making sure you're at work and you're just, you know, driving, you know, real fast just to get there on time. It's wake up a little bit earlier, do something for yourself, get yourself in an optimal state to conquer the day. And everybody can be different.
3: Yeah, Okay. absolutely, that's exactly the point. What is gonna make you feel well, have the best mindset, to face your day you know one of the teachers talks about the fact that they started getting up at like 4 30 in the morning i'm not saying anyone listening should do that right. it, and they're doing their exercise routine for 30 45 minutes and even you know when in the summertime she still does that she's up at 4 30 she just wants to start her day that way it she credits it with with you know extending her life as a teacher and giving her love and joy back to, to education just really fantastic everybody can experience that every morning
0: yeah
2: I'll tell that. you one of the people that you mentioned in that seven is a, a good friend of ours. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, Chris, I, I'm going to say his name. I'm going to say Chris Walker, because here's the thing I've, we've Walker. known for a while. And I'm telling you what, if he does that morning routine, he has energy so much energy at four or five o'clock, at, you know, in the afternoon, even after, cause we just had our, our state conference and it's like, how do you do all that?
3: What he does in the morning would make most of us tired for the entire day. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And, and maybe hopefully Chris will listen to this with all respect because he's a wonderful, loving, handsome guy. But he's not 21. Let's just say that. Way. Right? He's, he's, a, he's an experienced teacher. And he's still killing it in the morning. And that's what gives him his energy the rest of the day.
0: And, I, and he, we had him on the podcast. And one of the things I uh, said to him because I wanted to recognize this for him. He's one of the most positive people I've ever met in this business. He is so happy and positive. And I actually asked him that, how do you stay so happy and positive after all the years of teaching, and he's at the end of his career. So, you know, he never mentioned his morning routine, because maybe he didn't even realize that was part of his success, and that habit contributed to it. So I'm glad that you actually captured his story.
3: He is what's possible. And I never put those examples out there to say to anyone, oh my gosh, I can't do this. It's to let you know what's possible, create your own.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, I thank you so much for writing this book. And I know that Keith and Andrew have a few quick bites before we go, but. you know, for, for those who are listening and reading it or, or wanting to read it, it's it's a real quick pick me up. I mean, I love it personally. I, I have it by my desk all the time just to personally reflect it. I really I know it's different than the previous books that you've written, Mike. But on a personal note, like I I mean, the other books you inform, you educate, you, you help us create and develop, you know, transform a different way of, of education and thinking about schools. This is more about know thyself and become your best self By being your true self, too. And I love this part. It's kind of like a package. I don't know, it goes along with everything. So thank you so much for for doing it.
3: My pleasure. I'm glad you're getting some usefulness out of it.
1: Amazing.
0: Boys, quick bites. Yep, let's do it. All right.
2: All right, so you've done this before, quick Hot questions coming at you from Andrew and I, and uh, some may have come from the book or something that we've interpreted from the book, okay. so from there we'll go. So I'll start with uh, the Terminator or Incredible
3: Hulk? Uh, Terminator, Arnold.
2: The reason I ask that is because Arnold or, you know, uh, Luther, though your bodybuilding um
3: <laughs> Arnold has more medals, more trophies. Uh and I love his love his accent.
1: You can't you can't go wrong with the governor. Um what what never fails to make you
3: laugh? Uh, uh oh my gosh, I'm I'm drawing blanks on the TV shows, shit's creek never <laughs> fails to make you laugh. Love it, love that. We need. To, we're gonna go back through the series again soon. Awesome.
2: All right. Okay, so uh, this is a baseball-related question. Every time, what song would you want playing every time you enter a room? Kind of like a walk-up song.
3: Get your freak on. <laughs> 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 I
2: was not expecting that.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that, that's going to lead me. This is a perfect segue to my question. Being a musician, can you freestyle rap?
3: No, <laughs> I, mean, I, I can give it a try, but but you don't want to hear me do that. <laughs> uh, goodness, maybe when I was teaching music and I was more tuned in.
1: But mm. Keith can give you. Hey, Keith can give you a beat if you need it. Yeah. <sighs> right.
3: I'm sure you can.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, are eyebrows considered facial hair?
3: If they can be shaved off and regrown? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, my friends make fun of me, but I have had to, you know, at times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I
0: Where think so. That question, Keith, that is such a strange question.
3: Exactly right. That's why it's yeah, have to find strange questions. Basically.
2: This is why All they right.
0: don't tell me, Mike, because I would have—I would been like, "Why are you asking that?" Okay. Edit that
3: out. Yep. Good practice. Don't tell her.
1: All right. <laughs> so finish finish this phrase. The way to my heart is
3: through chocolate and song. How's that?
1: Oh. Whatever works for you.
3: I think you know what though. Uh, you know what else works through baseball and a hot dog. That yeah.
1: I, that's too interesting. That that fits for the time too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: wow. Okay, I took away from my next question, which was gonna be what was your favorite ballpark food?
1: Oh
3: yeah, well, hot dog and sauerkraut and relish and mustard and ketchup. Absolutely. Can't can't beat that. So bad for you, but at a ball game, it's gotta do it.
1: Yeah.
0: Ketchup what on the hot is,
1: dog, you know, what is your hidden talent?
3: My hidden talent is that we all played quarters in college, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I, I can roll the quarter off my nose. I can still do it right into a glass. I'm good to go.
0: You're on my team.
1: We got to see that. <laughs>
3: there you go. We will, we, will, we will do that together at some point.
1: That's good. <laughs> the magician on the side. He does magic tricks. Oh
2: my god! Here we go again with that magic trick stuff. Okay, now this is going to be another one of those weird questions according to Kim. So, what hair color do bald people put on their
3: license? Hang on a second. Say, repeat that.
2: What hair color do bald people put on their license?
3: <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, blonde.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would think you have to put you have to put something on there I, I never even thought about it uh, you know it's, it's probably license, I don't know I'm just asking Keith I didn't know if he did some background on it like you have to put something and you have to, there's a hair
2: color
3: It'll, on your license it, it leads to a different question about my license is it brown or is it creeping gray
2: ah. creeping gray
1: salt and pepper you know like that <laughs>
0: Andrew, any more? I got one more. Okay. Do you
1: you have a bucket list? And if so, can you give us one thing off your bucket list? Absolutely. Just talking about it
3: the other day, I don't have a huge bucket list. uh, But number one on my bucket list is Aurora Borealis. And I am uh, speaking in Alaska in June. I I haven't presented in four states. And Alaska is one of them. So I'm going to cross that off the list. And it's 24 hours of sunlight. So I'm not going to see Aurora Borealis mm. in June in Alaska. So my, my my goal is for one day to be in one of those like igloos in Norway where you can just see up because I really want to experience the northern lights. Very cool.
2: OK, yeah. so I have one more. And this one actually goes back to our last podcast because there was mm. one quick bite that you didn't have an answer for. And I had to go back through my question through my emails to make sure you didn't answer it that way. But this is part two. If you could know the absolute truth to one question, what would you want to know?
3: And you know what I'm going to say. Kramer, only a Sith deals in absolutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Well,
2: well, touche. Um, I can't. I
0: <laughs> Mike, I just love that you know how to handle creamer too. I love it. <laughs> it's because Kim um, does.
3: We have experienced right. together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Mike. Again, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, appreciate the time and the conversation that we always have with you. Um, look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully soon. Um, are you going to Shape America, New Orleans, or not this year? Not this no. year. Okay. Uh,
3: and I know you're, yeah, not this year. The schedule has really been, mm-hmm. uh, is, is good. It's good. I'm happy, but it's just right. post pandemic back in the live situation. It's all great. People are calling all the time. So it's good.
0: That's fantastic. And again, we're hoping to have you in our large urban school district too, hopefully in June and then in the beginning of uh, August. So, yeah. um, thanks again for writing that book. It was really, really well done. Thank yes. you. Yes.
3: Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I yeah, really, really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you.
0: Well, go enjoy your uh, physical life. Go play, uh, you know, um, pickleball. Get outside. I know it's sunny in Pennsylvania, you said, so enjoy the rest of the day. So we're grateful for your friendship, Mike. It means bear a lot. To
2: read, to I'm,
3: oh, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys. You know that. Uh, I know. Really, For your support and, and your friendship. And I look forward to seeing you uh, in person soon. Yeah. Go Phils,
1: Mike. Go Phils.
0: Go Phils. <laughs> Bye, Mike. Yeah, thank
2: you so much.
1: Bye. Take care. Take care.
0: Whew. That was amazing. As always. I love our True. conversations with Mike. Um, so this is the part, let's, let's just share our aha moment. Keith is still finishing up his pizza. I love it. Um, I'll go first, you guys, on the aha moment. Um, It was uh, um, living the the desired lifestyle versus just making a living. Live your desired lifestyle instead of just making a living. Um, I think that goes back to that quote, something that um, I forget what people have used to say. Like Americans, we um, live to work instead of work to live. I forget what, yes, yeah, yeah, that's it. Like instead right. of being so focused on all the whirlwind and what you have to do, look at what's around you. Again, it's like being grateful to of what you have, but what doing, living that desired right. lifestyle Right. every right. day. And don't just live for the weekend, which that's we all country. get caught up into. That's, yeah, so that's my aha moment. That's, I, I, that's like, perfect, I like that part.
1: That's a perfect lead into mine. I, mean, I, I wrote down so many things, but – you know, if we're gonna kind of stay on that same theme is make Monday at eight feel like Friday at five. Mm-hmm. Like that is so awesome. I mean, honestly, you know, since we've all been working together, it feels like that to me. I never yeah. look at coming in or working with, with you guys and all the things we've been doing and creating and, and, and working with our schools as anything but pure joy. And you know, there's times where things get a little hectic, but that comes with comes with the role. But overall, it's I never feel like it's a burden to go to work, you know, and that's part of being grateful and being appreciative of what you do have. I think, you know, like you said, get excited for what you do, have a mission, a purpose and goals for everything you're trying to accomplish. You know, and when you have that then you can be grateful, you can appreciate what's around you.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Well, um, it's funny, Andrew, because you, took one of the ones that I had written down. Uh,
1: I had so many. I just was going off Kim's theme.
2: Make Monday at eight, like Friday at five. I mean, it's, and and we have, I think we have, I think we've built that culture around us with some of the Mm -hmm. people at work that, um, by switching buildings and people who don't know how to handle us sometimes.
1: Directors. actually Buildings.
2: And I think they, they, they've, um, they've come along. I mean, you know, it, it took, other people up but they see us with the joy and laughter that we bring to each other to the workforce that they start coming in and I think it's made their work lives better but uh, I hope I don't hack this up but one of the other things he said toward the end was when he said uh, as teachers when we fill our hearts we give gratitude and that's the truth
0: right when we have so much of it then we pour it into other people's lives
1: correct
2: it's like, we haven't, we have,
0: once you have an abundance, you want to give it away.
1: Sure. Yeah. That the detail, the gratitude, the more you're specific, it creates power mm-hmm. to be able to really appreciate what's around you at all times. And the more you feel that the more likely you're going to continue to want to feel those same feelings.
0: Mm-hmm. When I read that chapter, I think Keith, you were the one that quizzed me a little bit. So how are you going to put this into practice? And so, It was one of those conversations that we had, but um, it was so easy for me to send a text message to my daughter and just Mm -hmm. tell her, you know, how proud I am of her and why. Or to tell my husband, you know, you were one of the best decisions I ever made marrying you and why, you know, one of those things. Like, it's just not just saying I love you or not saying I'm proud of you, but why? And being specific, it's more genuine. Um, Yeah. Because often we sometimes just don't do that.
1: That's true. And we could stay on here for the next 30, 45 minutes talking about all the highlights from this podcast because everything mm-hmm. he said is old. You know, but I know our time is short.
0: Yeah. So what is it. If it's spent
2: in gratitude, our time is
0: it's, it's abundant. abundant. All right, everybody. Well, this is the time where uh, you know, I'm gonna say, slice you later. Yeah.